Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. I'm your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories and give you a behind-the-scenes look at the life of a technology reporter. We'll learn about the person behind the byline and get their thoughts on the top trending stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hey guys, I'm here at the podcast studio with Aaron Gregg from the Washington Post. Hey Aaron, welcome. Thanks for having me. No, of course. We're so excited to have you here today. Um, we really want to get to know you, um, wh- what makes Aaron Gregg, and some of your thoughts on the DC tech scene, some of your background, um, just really all that fun stuff, getting to know you better. Okay, great. Cool. Looking forward to it. Awesome. You ready to jump in? Sure. Sure. Cool. So tell us a little bit about your pre-post background. I know we were um, you know, doing some research and we noticed that you have some pretty interesting background. You, um, you know, had some international experience, um, worked with the UN a little bit. Tell us a little bit about, about before you joined the post, what you were up to. Sure. So I, throughout college and grad school, journalism was sort of something that I was really interested in, but mm-hmm. I hadn't quite decided that I was going to do this for the rest of my life and so I sort of always did that but bounced around a lot to sort of related things. Um, I did a lot of data analytical sort of internships, decided I didn't really want to do that, at least not full time Um, and um, I don't know, I guess it wasn't until probably the middle of grad school for a master's in public policy which in certain ways is not totally related to journalism, but uh, that I, I basically made up my mind, yeah, I'm going to do this, and basically went full bore on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Same as far way. as before the post, um, so I interned with a field office in the Philippines looking at child labor mm-hmm. uh, data based on government survey data, basically. That was similar to a, you know, a, a policy job you would do here. It was just uh, in a tall office in the middle of Manila. And then um, sort of made my way so back to Washington. So you're actually in Manila? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. That seems, that's really interesting. So you went from this international background, you know, and came to D.C. and yeah, went to yeah. journalism. Sure did. Um, I guess I uh, ultimately decided that, um, you know, journalism is what I love to do. And, um, you know, I felt like I wanted to be a little more local at the time, mm-hmm. just because that's you get to actually go and talk to the people and see the places that you're writing about. Um, it all sort of seems a little more real when you're covering, covering things that are local. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the route I went. Wow, that's awesome. So I know in the past we've talked about your interest in these local stories. I know you've, you've talked to us a few times about that. So um, local stories with, of course, a national um, interest, right? So yeah. <laughs> what are some of um, like the biggest issues and trends that you're following this year? Oh, man. Um, biggest issues and trends. It seems like there's too much to really grab onto. That's sort of the biggest challenge mm-hmm. for me is that at any given time, there are 50 things that you could be spending your time on. And you have to prioritize and say this is the most important thing at, at this exact moment. But uh, right now, I'm very interested in, I guess, Defense Department deregulation. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a big change that's been happening over the last year. Um, pretty big bill that was introduced a few days ago that would basically eliminate eight different departments and, you know, have major changes for sort of how 
you know, companies bid on contracts uh, if it goes through, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big one. I, I think that what we're seeing with trade right now is one of the few areas where, um, I guess, the Trump administration is really able to implement their agenda without getting a lot of sign-offs mm-hmm. for people in Congress and elsewhere mm-hmm. in the political system. So that's why, at least for me, that's one of the reasons why there are so many things that are that are happening right now in that area. But. Yeah, I feel like there's no end to a lot of the news cycles right now that are going on. It's just always something every single day. So just backing up a bit, what impact um, will that have on the contracting industry, the first one that you mentioned? Sure. So we're just sort of beginning to see it because um, obviously the actually changing policy processes is sort of a long uh, a long haul. But mm-hmm. if you look at what's happened with the DOD cloud contract recently, we're seeing a lot of sort of, you know, I'll call them interesting uh, contract arrangements okay. come out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this sort of specification called other transactional authority that is, some people see it as a way to sort of be more innovative and reach out to commercial companies uh, don't necessarily have the overhead where they can, you know, go through a massive contracting process. Others see it as just a way of ignoring uh, regulations that are there for a reason. So there's a little bit of tension there mm-hmm. in the government contracting industry right now. Okay, that's interesting. So um, I know what do you find most intriguing about the contracting space right now? Um, for me, I just. It's just such a huge thing. There's really, I, I never feel like there's just nothing happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking about a massive government agency that's involved in so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and private businesses are sort of involved in pretty much every step of the way. Um, so if you're a business reporter covering government, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, lot of interesting mm-hmm. material there. There's so. a lot of con- consolidation happening right now too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the big players are getting bigger. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, so, tell us a bit about your primary audience um, when you're writing articles. Who who are you targeting? Who's reading your articles? So, what our audience is for, and every publication has a totally different audience mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, we're very much targeting a national audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the post lately so even if it's a local story we're told that we we need to make basically justify why this matters to somebody outside the dc area okay so we try not to neglect the local audiences Got it. but you know we try to find things that are open to that outside yeah i think too. that's what we we've heard from you before it's that that kind of local story with a national interest level mm-hmm. right <laughs> awesome so i know that you know, we, we've talked about how technology and the contracting industry and the government is constantly evolving by the minute and having a big impact on our daily lives. So as a reporter who closely follows this, has your approach to reporting changed at all in light of it? In light of the way contracting is changing? Um, you know, technology, contracting, business in general, like in light of the evolution of it. Sure. I mean, I think that having this administration um, sort of running the show sort of adds an interesting uh, tinge to anything that you're covering just because there's so many things happening at pretty much every level of government that Mm -hmm. are totally unexpected to people that have been covering things for 
for years and years in mm -hmm. some cases. So I, I feel like I have less of an opportunity to plan things sometimes. Okay. But at the same time, that's, you know, I, I sort of waver on that. I, you know, sometimes I wish I could spend a little more time getting to know what's going on. Other times it's exciting when something completely unexpected happens uh -huh. and I have to figure it out on the fly. You have to sort of like pivot and be like, okay, this is what I'm covering now, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what it, like, what is your thought process when you're assessing news and stories to cover? Do you just get an assignment, okay, I'm gonna pivot and, and figure this out now, or do you put you know, more thought into it? What is your thought process? Uh, sure, so at a certain point, it has to come back to a public interest. There has to be some reason why people need the information right. that I'm giving them. Otherwise, there's no reason there's for no me point. to write it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and, but making that calculation is uh, a lot of the time totally subjective. Um, yeah, it's tough, totally. It's, it's mm -hmm. completely, you know, we're, we're talking about what people need to see, what they need to know. There are so many reasons why something may or may not be a story. So mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest part about judging things is there is no, and there, there can't really be an objective Mm -hmm. metric for here's what you need to know about here's what you don't mm -hmm. how do you discern which information is prioritized um I, I guess I think through the big picture of you know usually when you're talking about a story it's either some specific anecdote or at best it's a you know a survey that shows some broader trend and um, I guess you know you have to say I have to say in my mind why this matters to mm -hmm. to the world or to whatever market um, I'm writing about in that case. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a matter of contextualizing, I think. Okay. Um, like, is this potentially historically significant? Would somebody yeah. look back on this and say, wow, yeah, that was a turning point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you wrote some um, pretty interesting stories in the past month or so. I know we were checking them out about... Um, the Pentagon, um, you know, getting an award to develop an app that can detect health problems. Like, that that was really interesting. And also, one of your other stories about um, a $248 million project to take supersonic jets. Um, that's really cool stuff that you're looking into. Like, what is... Well, thanks. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So, you're covering some really cool stuff. Like, what is your favorite type of story that you write? Um, for me... I feel like I'm adding the most value when I'm unearthing something. It doesn't have to be, you know, the a 18 month investigative scoop that, mm -hmm. you know, uncovers, you know, <laughs> some crazy Roy thing, Moore yeah. uh, or, or something insane like that. It could be more, much more basic than, than that. Mm -hmm. But f for me, I, I feel most sure about what I'm doing when I'm digging something up that hasn't mm -hmm. really been known to anybody yet. Oh yeah, that's awesome, of course. That must be really rewarding to you know write something that people haven't really known about or covered before, um, I bet that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of pivoting a little bit, what, do you th what are your thoughts about the Washington area business and tech hub here in general? Um, I know we have a predominantly strong government contracting presence, but how would you describe like the scene in DC here today? Um, I would say it, it is an interesting area. You, you kind of have to de define it as the D.C. area and not just D.C. Because, right. you know, as, as you well know, many of these companies are, are out in places mm -hmm. like Tyson's, where right. we are right now, mm -hmm. or um, clustered around Fort Meade uh, near the NSA. Uh, 
if, if you're looking for the interesting technology businesses in D.C., you really have to get out to the suburbs a lot of the time. Yeah, that's true. And, um, you know, sort of broaden the definition of what technology, you know, if, if you think of it in terms of a Silicon Valley lens of a consumer-focused, you know, app-based company, uh, you're not going to find much here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of B2B companies, business-to-business, that are doing really yeah. interesting things. Uh, a lot of government contractors that actually are doing some really innovative things with, you know, money from agencies like DARPA. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think W2 focuses on cybersecurity contractors a lot of the time, or not contractors, but companies in general. Um, I think that might be yeah. one of the brightest areas for the entire regional tech scene because you have a lot of companies with government experience that are now finding this huge commercial market for what they do. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know the cyber the cyber security area is completely blowing up in light of a lot of things that we hear yeah. about breaches every day, stuff like that happening. Um, so, do you think there's a different kind of vibe in Silicon Valley versus DC in terms of market and different interest areas, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't really spent any time out there, mm-hmm. but um, at least when you talk to a D.C. area company, um, you get a very different vibe from when you talk to uh, execs that are from out there. Right. They, they spend less money. Mm-hmm. They, they take in less money from venture capitalists. Their goals mm-hmm. are different. Uh, it's really a very different sort of industry and, uh, yeah. and, and take on things. Mm-hmm. So how do you expect... Um, the DC business area, tech area, to morph in the future. I know you, you talked about deregulation. Um, what's next, from your perspective? <laughs> um, I think everyone should watch what's going on with the Defense Department's cloud contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you have companies that are showing interest from both the DC area, sort of the the uh, what you would call the traditional government contracting mm-hmm. industry. Um, companies like General Dynamics showing mm-hmm. interest. Um, but you also see these West Coast tech giants like Google right. and Amazon, Amazon Web Services. Right, yeah. They've been making a big push into the, uh, the government sector over the last couple of years. Um, and so I think we're just sort of about to see a big flurry of activity. You're starting to see ads in the metro for a government mm-hmm. contract. When you see people advertising in Metro Center for you know, uh, what used to be thought of as an obscure cloud contract for yeah. DOD, you know it's, you know it's really real. a lot of interest <laughs> behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, you see bots being sponsored on Twitter to sort of mm-hmm. smear one company or the other. Um, there's a lot of competition around that contract uh, from mm-hmm. some very big companies. And so um, I think we should expect to see some interesting activity there. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, that's cool. Yeah, you know, you talk to so many companies and so many experts on this type of stuff. So what is like, you know, you mentioned competition and what are some of the things you're hearing from some of the contractors about it? Any concerns or challenges? Yeah, so I think that there's a big, um, it's a very palpable, you know, fear of disruption okay. uh, from from one side of the industry. Um, they feel like companies from the West Coast are sort of coming, coming in, in and using these other transactional authority agreements to sort of ignore the uh, regulations that have been set up and that in some cases that's basically their competitive advantages to 
mm-hmm. have the overhead and the know-how to you know follow that government contracting process you know and, and they those companies would argue um, well those regulations are there for a reason and you can't just sidestep them um, you know from the other side of things a lot of people especially on the House Armed Services Committee uh, think that regulations have become so stifling that by the time you have built anything for the military it's completely uh, mm-hmm. you know gone out of uh, usability and um, there's a there's a concept that by the time you've gone through the process and actually built what the military needs they don't need it anymore yeah. or there's something else out there that's even mm-hmm. better and they start buying that and so um, it's sort of a push and pull. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I know the West Coast has a completely different mindset when it comes to um, that sort of a thing. And you know, coming here, I can totally see how that may uh, stir things up a little bit in the in the DC area. So, um, just to learn a little bit more about you and your experience and what you're interested in, what gets you really excited? Like, what are some maybe some things that you worked on recently or that you're working on right now that um, gets you really jazzed up and excited? <laughs> um. I would say, for me, with a, with, with a given story, I like stories where there's an opportunity to do a lot of data, um, a lot of data work, and also a lot of talking to regular people, okay. um, kind of seeing both sides of things from that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed covering some of the international trade issues last year, when okay. we started to see tariffs popping up. Uh, really in the first year of Trump's tenure. Uh, and a lot of that was seen as a reaction to uh, the rhetoric that was coming out of the Trump administration. Um, yeah, I think that anything where there's an opportunity for a deep dive and to really mm-hmm. sort of explore. Like a profile type of story? Uh, yes, I, mm-hmm. I think I come more from the investigative side. Investigative, yeah. I'm, I'm less about the writing than about the reporting. Okay, that's cool. Um, what I like about all of this is coming into something that I'm totally unfamiliar with and just having to learn it from bottom to top. Yeah, and, and so you any, become an expert in your own right on this or, or interviewing experts and you know, yeah, talking to the exactly. experts and then <laughs> translating that for your audience. I don't think I've ever really become an expert <laughs> in, in anything, but um, you know, we, we try to come as close as we can. Yeah. And so for me, it's about that process of exploration. That's awesome. That's cool. I can see why that would be really exciting. And you almost have a different... Um, almost like a different job every every couple weeks or so. It's like you could be looking into something totally different and then you're still communicating that to your audience, but you're just looking into different things all the time. Mm-hmm. Or that's, from hour to hour sometimes. Yeah, that's true. That's cool. So um, I know that we want to get to know the person behind the byline and really what makes um, Aaron, Aaron. So... Say it's a typical Saturday. I know journalism and, and PR, like our job too, can be really intense, really busy, around the clock kind of stuff. So what do you do to, to relax in your free time? Let's say it's a Saturday, you're not, you're not working. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, man. That's a good question. <laughs> if you ever have time, you know. Downtime's hard to come by these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I just like to be outside. Usually it means reading something totally unrelated to work. Sure. Um, that's usually what I do on a Saturday. I live in the Capitol Hill area, and I'll just find somewhere green and just sit down with a, usually a fiction book because that okay. allows me to sort of... That's very distant than uh, yeah, reporting. Yeah, it, totally separate from anything that I would be thinking about during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, allows me to sort of 
go into a different world. So that's sort of what I do in my free time, I guess. That's so awesome. <laughs> and I was also looking, you have, um, do you have a degree in music too? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. I, um, my, I had a double major in college in, uh, I guess it was political science and music. So totally separate. Uh, yeah, very the, different. The way that it works at Emory where I went is most people uh, who are majoring in music there also want to do something different. Uh, there are a lot of pre-med people who are also doing music, a lot of That's pre-law cool. people who are also doing music. And so they really sort of build it into a broader sort of um, field of coursework there where you know, you're not just doing only that. Um, but I play jazz guitar. Uh, some of my favorite oh, classes wow. in college were basically just, you know, here's how to improvise uh, on a really complex jazz tune. Mm-hmm. And so, That's cool. uh, yeah, I think I learned a lot from that. Well, so what's your favorite band? Oh, man. Favorite band. <laughs> or one of them. I know it's hard to say one. Um, I listen to a lot of obscure guitar players. That's cool. <laughs> hey. Uh, I've been a big fan of Derek Trucks for a long time. Okay. He's a slide guitar player. I'll look into that. Yeah. That's not, cool. <laughs> not very well known, but I think he has a very devoted following of, mm-hmm. you know, guitar players. <laughs> no, that's really cool. So. Do you do you play like um like publicly ever? Like at, you know, oh, no, open no. mics or anything? No. No, not yeah. really. Just in free time. Yeah. Uh, cool. maybe I will one day. But <laughs> for now I'm more focused on journalism and mm-hmm. playing in my free time, I think. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, um, Aaron, thank you so much for coming in. This has been really cool having you in the studio here on Inside the Media Minds. Um, we're looking forward to seeing every article you write about. We love reading them. Um, we love your investigative approach and your ability to really translate um, things into what readers want to hear about. So thank you so much for coming in today. Cool. Thanks for having me yeah. on your podcast. Absolutely. And have a nice um, bike ride back to the Metro. Will do. <laughs> Hope it doesn't start raining or anything. But um, for everyone listening, please stay tuned for updates on our next podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. Thank you.